uh, when I have a couple of big cases uh, floating here, constitutional and whatnot, I turn to my good friend, Mr. Andrew Lieb, LiebantLaw.com, one of the best in the business, and we welcome him in uh, to these airwaves. A couple of days closing out the year. Good to have you, as always. Uh, you know, I always like to start out with a little bit of Islander stuff here. Three in a row tonight. Columbus seemed to have it's a little bit topsy-turvy. Scored nicely the other day against the Penguins. We'll take that. But with that being said, uh, more W's are needed here. Hopefully they get a little more consistency in play. Wouldn't you agree? This Leib? Oh, okay. I didn't know. See, I gave that nice little dissertation. As far as everything else, where is I? Uh, oh, okay, you don't have. Well, let's see if we can get them. Uh, Seven forty-five. We'll keep getting. We have <laughs> we have Andrew Lieb coming on. We're going to talk about uh, a lot of stuff. The Santos stuff. There's some uh, discrimination regarding citizenship that we need to know about. That just got to play Title Forty Two. Uh, also, January the sixth, and we have him now. So I gave a little bit of an entrance way for you. As far as the Islanders, three in a row, hopefully tonight against Columbus. They're playing well, especially against the Penguins. Like to see a little more consistency. I guess you will as well. You would as well. And we welcome you to the show, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I'm actually going tonight. We have um, Parker Wotherspoon in the back end. He's killing it. This guy, he spent his whole career in the AHL. And now he's a mainstay and really stepping up now that we have Pelic injured. So I'm thinking we're going three in a row. Can't wait for tonight. Let's go, Islanders. Some consistency going there. It is a jam-packed type of deal as far as the postseason is concerned on the wild cards. Everybody is bunching up. So it's going to be a heck of a finish. It'd be great if all three locals get in, Devils, Rangers, and the Islands. It's been a fun season so far. Hey, listen, i got a lot to talk with you about. I want to start with the Santos stuff. You're good with this <laughs> stuff. Um, the newly elected Republican member of the House of Representatives, sir, uh, there is a heap, as you know, of political trouble. Uh, and not even being sworn in yet has he January 3rd the day. Uh, he's been called lying about his education, his work history, his charitable efforts, religious background, it seems. Um, he has tried to dismiss everything. You know, a little bit of resume panning. I get it. New York Times, though, all put out there. And now he's under investigation by federal and local prosecutors who are wondering where he see this is a big question for me where he got the substantial amount of money contributed to his own campaign i mean that is a massive question and that i think he has to come clean on mr lee it's so many layers of problems beyond political as you just said criminal problems and what they're talking about is this guy who um apparently said he was a landlord or had like 11 units was apparently tenant himself and somehow his company, as this company, and this company says he's getting $750,000, I believe, in salary, and he's donating the money to his campaign as a loan. It's a loan. You can make loans from yourself to your campaign. But there's two issues with these loans. Number one, it can't come from a corporation. It has to come from the individual, and the company made the loan. So that's already an election finance issue. And then the secondary issue is where did he get the money in the company in the first place? It came out of nowhere. Was it dark money that they're trying to funnel through the company? Who gave this money? And when you already found out that the guy didn't have the jobs, he said, when the guy didn't have the education, he said, when the guy 
said that he's been open and out, supports don't say gay, and then we found out that he got divorced in 2019. When everything he says unravels and he admits it unravels, the question, forgetting the finance issues or his companies in other uh, countries, let's forget all that. The real question is, where'd the money come from? Where'd this money come from? And he's got some serious answers that he's going to have to give, and that admission, as you say, veracity for truthfulness, it's going to be a problem. Everything he says moving forward, because we know he's a liar. So I think this guy, I don't know why he's saying he's going to maintain his office. I think all people in the Gold Coast, in the North Hempstead area, the people that he represents, need to call for his resignation immediately. Somewhat lenient with him from a, a couple of days prior. Embellishment, work history, education. Uh, I get it. Uh, the finances I'm having a problem with. And as you put it, uh, bluntly, as far as dark money and water, he's got to explain himself here or else. So that being said, do you think he will refuse all of this to come clean? Does he resign does he hope it blows over? What do you think this goes from now until swearing day, which is a few days away, January the 3rd? What do you think this goes? Jay, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm shocked at where it is, meaning like I'm shocked what he did, what he's accused of and everything, but I'm mostly shocked that he didn't bow out immediately. He said, I did all these things, but I'm staying in an office. I don't, I don't know what he's doing. I think we're going to see the feds go after him. Nassau County go after him. So either way, where do I see this going? I see this going that this guy, I'm guessing, I don't know, I haven't seen the evidence, but you said the money and the campaign money, but I'm also interested he has nonprofits. And what's going on with those nonprofits? That's also he alleged that's a big problem. Where's that money? I think he's going to find himself in uh, handcuffs one of these days. All right. Let's see what happens. Listen, to me, you got to explain yourself. 55K to 11 million year over year. You know, come on. I mean, you got to explain yourself. Come clean. We've offered him the platform here. It was supposed to be on yesterday. He did not show up. Uh, claimed he was ill. Listen, I think the heat is on. And Donnelly's in on this. Letitia James is in on this. Kevin McCarthy's not saying anything. Nick LaLota is not happy. You know, Andrew Garbarino sits on the ethics, not saying anything. I'll tell you, heat's closing. Walls are closing. Heat's on. Walls are closing in. And I think it'll become a little too much for him. I really do. So, in essence, we shall see. Andrew Lieb uh, with us. A uh, couple of things. Title 42, uh, Roberts, Supreme Court, no question, did the right thing here to halt it at least a couple of months. The administration not happy about it. What else is no? But, in essence, it is amazing to me, uh, still, no visitation from the President of the United States down there. Forget the czar and everything else. It's an absolute mess. But the Supreme Court had to do what they had to do the other day, no? Well, if you ask Justice Gorsuch, he disagrees strongly. It was a 5-4 decision, and it was striking how strong Gorsuch, a conservative member of the Supreme Court, his dissent was. So when you get a 5-4 decision and a conservative like Gorsuch coming out so strongly, I don't know what the right decision is because it's a coin flip when it's 5-4. I would say to you that the result is, regardless of it's right, wrong, or indifferent, is that they can continue this policy. And what this policy really is, because Title 42 is abstract to a lot of people, what it really means is that you're allowed to send people 
that are coming over the border, et cetera, if they're coming from a country that's communicable diseases, like we think about something like COVID, and you're about to say you can't stay, get out. And it's an expedited way to get rid of people with diseases. And what Gorsuch is really saying is that when you write and you have bad legislation, you can't, like, say, hey, we're just going to fix everything because we're not a policy branch in the court. We're a judicial branch. So we need to separate when you say it's a good decision. Is it a good decision on the law or is it a good decision on policy? On policy, I think you're saying it's a great decision. I'm not saying it's not. But it's questionable about the overreach of the Supreme Court getting into policy in the first place. And I think that's what Justice Gorsuch is getting into. Why not just institute stay in Mexico? That would solve a lot of issues as far as the Trump days were concerned, right? Wouldn't that alleviate a little bit of this? Well, when you say the word institute, I think that's a question for the legislature to be instituting and bringing that in. I know Trump did it through an executive um, regulation, but really what we need to see is strong legislation. I've been saying this for a while, whether it's Title 42 or stay in Mexico or none of the above. You can't have these piecemeal policies, whether it's a wall or bringing containers to the wall. We need to have our Congress, and maybe this is a good opportunity, having the House being Republican and the Senate being Democrat, maybe they can come together and make a comprehensive, that's the key, immigration policy. We can't do this ad hoc and say the border wall, the this, the that. We have to deal with everything together. And I think that when you say let's send them back, stay in Mexico, we're only hitting a very small piece of that puzzle. It's not a bad piece, but we got to get a comprehensive immigration reform. And I would think that this would be a really good thing for a uh, uh, Congress that has both power for the Republicans and the Democrats to work out their differences and come up with something. I think they can do it. Also, a common sense approach, which we have seen very little as far as this administration as, as, and Andy Hanley thinks in this very important topic. Andrew, leave with us. He'll, let me throw one more at you because it happened yesterday, late yesterday, where the, the House January 6th committee, uh, Andrew, withdrew the subpoena issued to Donald Trump, former president as the panel, prepares now to disband. Uh, a lot of people might be shocked by this. Why? Because the panel we know is made up of mainly Democrats here. So what was the emphasis, the catalyst of points behind the disbanding of this? Well, I think that they're about to lose power, Jay. Like, we're, we're going into the but new year. But why not get it in before the 11th be hour here? And I think it's time for them to wrap up, and they've already made their report. It's kind of over. So the January 6th committee is over. Now, whether there's going to be a committee in the Senate, we're all hearing about how McCarthy wants to do investigations in the House, but let's not forget that the Democrats have the Senate, and maybe they'll do something there. I would rather, though, see, as you and I were just discussing, instead of talking about Trump or talking about Hunter's laptop or whatever other political hot topic we could do, I would rather they get to some good policy and write something about immigration like we were just discussing. That would be great and when they could go do that. But more importantly, realize that this is already with DOJ. And DOJ is going to do what they're going to do. We have a special counsel, and I think that's why they withdrew the subpoena, because it's meaningless and they're going to have no more power. But my thinking is, you know what, if they feel so strongly about it, they have. I mean, even putting this stuff prime times, everybody could see, 
Uh, you would think maybe they can kind of squeeze this in before the changing of the guard. But as you say, apparently not. They've dropped other situations as well. They simply have no time. There would be no way to enforce the subpoena. There would be no way to um, have, there would be no committee by the time the guard changes. It was a, a mistake, I think, in the first place to issue the subpoena, knowing the timeline. Like when they issued it, we knew the timeline that Trump could simply run out the clock. I think it wasn't a great idea. Didn't do much. I think it was maybe political for them to say, hey, we want the guy to testify. We want to give him his time to say his thing. Maybe they were hoping that they threw a dart against the wall, it would stick. But I think it's not as consequential as it sounds on the surface. It's more about that they're just wrapping up shop because we got two of them. We got Kinzinger. We got, um, uh, we got uh, Cheney. They're not going to even be in the house anymore. We're changing the guard up. You're listening to Andrew Lieb, of course. Lieb, a a plethora of topics here. That would include uh, citizenship status and immigration status. Uh, Mr. Lieb, now protected classes through the state of New York when it comes to discrimination in housing, public accommodations, you know, it could be real estate, whatever it is, Uh, education, employment. So effective date was what, the 23rd? Uh, and has amended the state human rights law to protect a group of New Yorkers. Correct, sir? This is really consequential. You're 100% correct. And I think this is what we're talking about, about legislation that's not politically charged. It's just what makes sense. And this has been a law of citizenship and um, immigration status. Let's back up. We have different laws when it comes to discrimination in this country, and it's very confusing. On the federal level, we have something called the Fair Housing Act. We have Title VII and employment. There's all sorts of laws. We have the American Disabilities Act. But then we also have a state law, and there's a rule that the states and localities can't have anything below what the federal law is. The federal law is a floor under which the states and localities cannot go, meaning they can only add to it. Federally, citizenship status and immigration status are not protected. Now, to be clear, Suffolk County did protect citizenship status, as did New York City. That's saying Nassau County didn't. So where are we going with this? What am I saying? If you were going to get a job, and I said, Jay, you're a man. We're not having any damn man here. We're not not having men. Or to condescend or make a hostile environment. That would protect you under sex or gender, and you would be able to sue for discrimination, and a job couldn't do that, because we all know in society that, you know, an employer or a housing person can't say no to you because of who you are. It's what your skill is. Isn't that the key? What your skill is. We're not going to discriminate against a white guy. We're not going to discriminate against a black gal. Well, in housing particularly, a lot of landlords think that they're their own Title 42 or their own don't stay in Mexico, as you were saying. And people get, they hear you and I on the radio, and they think, hey, I'm going to enact policy in my own life. And they deny people because they stereotype them as, oh, you look like they're Mexican. They might not even be Mexican. They might be Puerto Rican. But they look like, you look like you're, I'm not renting to you. You're an illegal. That's what they say. Well, guess what? You're going to find yourself at the tail end of a lawsuit now because in the state of New York, including Nassau County now, you cannot discriminate based on citizenship, on national origin, which was already protected, but also, also on immigration status. What that means is you can't assume someone's alienage and then go discriminate. And this is very, very important. Employment, 
pieces of public accommodation, which is commercial, or housing. And I think housing is the biggest one. These mom-and-pop landlords, they think they can pick and choose their tenants. We get new cases every day in my law firm defending landlords that are getting sued for discrimination because they say something stupid. You see, here's where it can get a little cloudy as far as I'm concerned. You know, you can check status whenever you feel like. I don't know if it means that. Uh, I think the emphasis maybe has to be upon any person who plans to verify status to maybe first identify the basis. I'm talking from a legal standpoint here. Uh, as for why status is required before you know anything is verified to be doing anything, I think that's where it can become a little cloudy. You know, as far as one's thinking is concerned, no. I think you're hitting it on the now. We actually put a blog about that yesterday. The law has an exception, as we're getting at. There's two aspects of the law that could get you in trouble. One is the verification of the status. And second is the action upon the status. It could be words, advertisements, publications, denying, changing terms, conditions, things like that. But what you're getting at is the verification in the first place. Do I know their status? Am I asking about it? Am I talking about it? And what the law says is if you have a legal obligation to do it, I'm paraphrasing, then you can do it. But you can't, as I was just alluding to before, say, you know what? I don't like that Biden doesn't have a stay in Mexico policy. I like when Trump had that. So I'm going to have a stay in Mexico policy in my house. And you know what? You look like Mexico. Go back to Mexico. You can't live here. That's what's going to get you sued. And I can't tell you how many countless, countless landlords do this. They hear politics on Fox or on MSNBC or on Newsmax or on CNN, and they go, you know what, I'm going to employ, this is my house, it's my kingdom, I could do what I want. And you just can't do that. And I think that unless you speak to a lawyer and you're told that you have a funding program, like a, a specific program going on with your house that requires all people to have certain citizenship or legality or whatever, assume you have no obligation to do anything. Do not verify, do not ask questions, and do not act upon your perceived immigration status of tenants or employees. And I'll tell you, employers, landlords, even those of uh, educational background, or I should say administration or whatever in those institutions, I mean, they're going to have to defend a lot here that can result in a lot of damages, I would think, because you're going to have a lot of questions in play, and it's going to become expensive in a very big way here, I would think. You're 100% right. I'm going to go into the damages, but I want to be clear. You said something smart that I didn't say. This applies to the educational form as well. In Executive Law 296.4, it applies discrimination laws that you can't be discriminated in education in the state of New York. And we have one of the most protective in the United States anti-discrimination education laws throughout the United States. And it says it there. And I want you to realize that I could see many mom and pops in education. There are these tutoring places. There's these nursing, nursery kids schools, mom and pops in, in restaurants, in, in stores, retail. That's who I'm concerned about. Now, if you're dealing with a major university like Stony Brook, I'm not concerned because they have, the, as you mentioned before, Jay, they have the lawyers to tell you when you have to verify and when you don't. You have a big company like an Amazon. They have the lawyers to tell you when you have to verify and when you don't. But the mom and pops, the same law applies to you, so stop verifying. And as Jay said, damages, damages. 
you could be on the hook for what's called emotional damages. You might be thinking to yourself, well, well they're going to whine a little, they're going to cry, what's that worth? Well, the courts in what's called the Second Circuit have determined that you, generally the damages break six figures for emotional distress. And if someone's treating with a psychologist or a therapist or otherwise, we can get into three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars easily. And that's on top of the fact that they have to pay attorney's fees, the defendant. And that's on top of the fact that there's punitive damages. And that's on top of the fact that there's lost education or lost employment opportunities, back pay, front pay. These numbers can get staggering quickly. So I always say this to people when they say they have a belief. I believe I'm right. This is what I want to do. How much money until you care if you're right? Because if I want to be right at $10, I want to be right at $100. But if it's costing me $500,000, I'm good to be wrong. Meaning I don't need to have my own political policy in my own life. If it's going to cost me $500,000, I'd rather just go with whatever it is. And that's what people have to make their decision. Stop being so right. Worry more about what the law is and follow the law because your business can't afford arrogance of what you believe should be the policy in the country. That's all I can say. And listen, you're right. And, you know, you talk about these law, and I say, I go back to these lawsuits, and that's where it can easily result in these types of damages. So buyer beware, I say, I would think. I'm not a lawyer here, but I'm talking about damages well over six figures, as you just stated. So uh, something to certainly uh, be aware of. Sir, be aware of an Islander win tonight. It could happen three in a row. Enjoy the game at the UBS. Leave at law.com. Also, Very happy new year to you. We'll talk to you next year.